Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, hey, the new eBlog Talk community platform is on its way to you so soon. It's coming in August, and I cannot wait to open the doors for you to come see the space we're setting up inside. One of my favorite things about the platform is the mastermind program where you will be placed in a group of like-minded food bloggers that will meet regularly. Masterminds are so important for success, which is why it is one of the pillar features within the community. Join the waitlist to get the details and the discounts so you can start feeling more connected and more confident as a food blogger. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash launch to get the details. See you there. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today, I have Denise from Sweet Peas and Saffron with me on the show, and we are going to talk about how to build connection and community with your readers by running challenges. Denise has been a food blogger at Sweet Peas and Saffron since 2012. For the first four to five years, she blogged about everything from healthy to indulgent foods and never really felt like she had a community. In 2016, Denise decided to take the leap and niche down on the topic of meal prep By focusing on a niche topic and hosting live meal prep challenges, she was able to build a community and connection with her readers and finally felt like she had a real home in the blogging world. Denise, this is such a great topic to cover and I'm really excited to chat with you about running challenges. But first, give us a fun fact about yourself. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, Okay, so one fun fact about me is I have a PhD in biochemistry. (laughs) Oh, so I actually started my blog in the middle of my degree as a fun creative outlet. And then by the end of it, I kind of was able to transition into being a full time food blogger. So (laughs) never expected that when I started it. Yeah. And I don't think many food bloggers can say that they have that background. So that (laughs) makes you really unique. Yeah. That is definitely a fun fact. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. So, Denise, it's becoming more and more evident that when food bloggers niche down and focus in on a really specific way to serve an audience, that they are massively rewarded. I'm seeing that more and more. People talk to me about that all the time. So, it sounds like you have done just that by focusing on a really specific niche or problem people are having. For you, it's meal prep. And by running challenges that support the people inside that niche. So I just think challenges are super intriguing. It's something that I've never launched into myself. And I'm kind of excited to learn from you today. So would you start by talking about free challenges? Because I know our audiences all love that word free and kind of how those work. Sure. So a challenge is just an event that you put on by your blog, but it's kind of outside of your normal recipe content. And the goal of the challenge is to teach people a new skill in bite-sized pieces or to encourage them in some way to take action on something when they might need just like a little extra push to get started. And the key 
to running a challenge is that you want the readers to experience some sort of transformation. So with my meal prep challenges, I'm teaching people how to meal prep because there's a bit of a learning curve involved. And people really like to have their hand held a little bit when getting started. But it also, because there's like a certain amount of effort you have to put in with meal prep, it also helps people get that push and that accountability factor to actually get it done. And then through the challenge, they experience all the benefits of meal prep. So reducing their stress around mealtimes, saving money and eating a little bit healthier. And then through the challenge, it gets people familiar with you as a person and your recipes, and it helps to build trust, which I think is really important for food blogs, especially if you're like maybe a smaller food blog. You know, people might not be familiar with your name, but if you're able to build trust with people through this sort of thing, I think that's really a good thing. Yeah, trust is so huge. And I think we see that all the time, even with Google, like that's one of their core aspects, like you need to build trust with your audience. It's really important for like the user side too, user experience. So what a great way to do that just by encouraging people, holding them accountable, reducing stress. I mean, everything you listed, it's like, I think everyone would sign up for it. Like, yes, yes, please save money. So um, just that factor of like building trust with your audience. So talk to us about how to start with a free challenge. So I can walk you through how I run my challenges. Um, The structure of my challenge is, well, first I should mention that I do run different challenges based on the time of year because people are interested in different food topics depending on the time of the year. So for whatever reason, people are super interested in meal prepping their lunches in January. I'm not still not entirely sure why, but that one has been a huge hit. And so it's kind of like permanent in January for us. But then in the fall, we run a stock up the freezer challenge because people are more interested in prepping, um, stocking up their freezers. So my challenges take place through email. I send out two emails over the course of two weeks. Um, two emails per week, I should say, over the course of two weeks. And they have a meal plan, some recipes, and a shopping list. So basically everything they need to meal prep the recipes for each week. So it's kind of like a big email. It's got a lot of information. And in order to access that information, they need to subscribe to my email list. For a long time, that was actually my only opt-in. I've since created a second opt-in to kind of go in between the challenges. <laughs> so I always have, you know, something going for people. I also have a Facebook group, and I think that's the key to building community. So in the group, I post daily prompts throughout the challenge just to get people interacting and answering questions. And we have prizes. So to enter to win a prize, you have to post a picture of your completed meal prep. And that really helps I think especially once the challenge gets started and if people are feeling like they're not sure if they really want to do this, but if they see all of these pictures happening on the Sunday when we do our prep, it's like, it's really encouraging for them. I've heard so many times people say, I was going to just not do it again, but I saw all the pictures and I couldn't not be, I couldn't not do it, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think that helps. Yeah, so the Facebook group is a really great way to kind of bring everyone together because, like you said, people mention, well, I wasn't going to do it, but I'm seeing other people are doing it. And when you see other people doing it, that motivates you to do it yourself. 
So that's a really smart part of this that I would not have thought of. So you pretty much constantly have some challenge going at any given time. And do you have a single Facebook group for all of those people or do you host different groups for different challenges or how does that go? So I actually only do three to four challenges a year. And there's something like, you know, some people have challenges. It's just an email, like, you know, quote, (laughs) air quotes challenge. Yeah. And it's running all the time. But the key, I think, to a successful challenge is to have everybody in it together doing the same thing at the same time. And there's just something so contagious about that. And so inspirational just to feel like you're a part of something. So we have challenges in January and usually sometime in the spring. Sometimes I've had them in the summer, although, you know, with the summer slump and blogging, yeah, <laughs> a, I haven't had it for the past couple of years. It's just always been pretty quiet. But then we also have one in September for back to school. And so I do have the Facebook group for all of the challenges. And something that I kind of go back and forth on is that, you know, our group is pretty quiet in between the challenges. And that's kind of for my own mental health. Of It's really a lot of energy required during the challenge. And it's important for me to kind of rest in between. Um, for a while, I was trying to kind of keep things going in the group in between. It was just, I would get kind of burnt out with that and with everything else bloggers have on their plate. Um, that's how I've decided to run mine. I think that's smart. So you do three to four a year and you said that each one is about two weeks or what is the length that you usually stick to? So I've played around with this. I used to do three weeks and I always found by the third week that people were kind of starting to get tired. It was kind of petering out. So I've reduced it to two weeks. But actually, so one thing is I learned about this whole challenge thing from Jada Selner, who was the co-founder of Simple Green Smoothies. She's like the challenge expert. (laughs) (laughs) She recommends that you have a shorter challenge because it just feels more doable for people and they maintain their excitement throughout. So she actually recommends doing a one-week challenge where you send out daily emails and people are taking daily action. Mm, that's great. I never would have thought of that. Whenever I think of challenges, I think like 30 days and, you know, checking in periodically, but that might be too long. Yeah. Um, Simple Green Smoothies used to do a 30-day challenge where you drink a green smoothie every day for 30 days, but they've actually changed to a seven-day challenge because they were just finding it that people were not maintaining their enthusiasm all the way through the end, I believe. I mean, they've just found more success in shortening it. Hmm, that's very interesting. The attention span, right? People yeah. have like that <laughs> really short. And it's exciting. You get into a challenge. Someone is challenging you to do something and it's really exciting at first. And then you get like maybe 10 days in and then you start to lose steam. So I get that. I, I've i been there too. Like at first you're like, yes, I'm going to do this. And then oh, and 30 days is like so far off. You yeah. can't even imagine getting there. And I think especially if you have a product to offer at the end, if you wait for 30 days, people are just kind of tired by the mm, end. Good point. But if, if they're, you know, if they're like, yes, I did it, what's next? And then you have a product to offer them, then you can really capitalize on that enthusiasm and excitement. Yeah. Okay. So you do a couple of years. How did you test this out? Like, how did you find that January was good for meal prep and fall is good for freezer meals. How did you sort that out? Just honestly through experimentation. My first challenge was actually a breakfast prep challenge. So my first challenge had 
50 people join. Because for me, meal prepping my breakfast was the big thing for me that like, it really helped me out personally. So I thought that was going to be, you know, something that everybody was interested in, but people are just less interested in breakfast. My first challenge had 70 or 50 people, I believe. And my second one had around 250. And my third one was in January, 2017, New Year's resolution season. And I put a sign up link on a video that went viral and I oh, got wow. 15,000 people in my, what? in my third challenge. Oh my gosh. It was pretty crazy. I was honestly really scared of 15,000 people making this recipe. Um, oh my goodness. I don't even, <laughs> I can't even comprehend that number. I would be freaking out too. Yeah. <laughs> goodness. Well, that's great though. I mean, people were obviously interested in what you were having to offer. So that's great. So then right there, you're like, okay, yes, this is what people are wanting. So then you just keep doing that year after year. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So testing a little bit. And then obviously if you get like a handful of people, it's probably not the best idea. But if you get 15,000 people, then yes, you've hit a home run. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes a little luck too, because, you know, like I said, the timing of food interests, like people are really into meal prep in the new year. And that's just like something I accidentally stumbled upon. So, you know, you might try a challenge and it it's not super popular, but you try it like another time and it might, it might take off. It just takes a little luck and good timing sometimes, I think. Yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe it's not necessarily the topic, but the topic plus the timing. So try again. Yeah, that is hard. I mean, we kind of all test that out with our blogs and what works, just general recipes posting on our blogs, what works and what doesn't and what timing works and what timing doesn't. So it's just kind of an extension of that, except with challenges. So how do you get people, like, where do you find these people? Obviously, you must have an email list and you seek people out there, but are there other ways that you can get people interested? So when I started, I mostly just posted on all my social media channels that I was having it. At that point, I didn't have a huge community. And so for me, after that first challenge or the, the third challenge where you know I had 15,000 people, I feel like that really got the ball rolling for me. And then I have had a lot of return challengers ever since then. And I, I do ask them to help me spread the word. I also have, so I, it used to be my only email opt-in. Now I have a separate opt-in. And so I also email that section of my list to say, hey, I'm having a challenge. It's starting next week. Click this link if you want to join. I also put a post on my Facebook page and I, I'll boost it. I tried playing around with Facebook ads and I find it super overwhelming. Um, Same. <laughs> yeah, there's just too, uh, that's like a whole, that's a I whole know, thing. It's a whole other beast. Yes. Yeah. So that's how I have done it. Okay. Just share wherever possible. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. So do you feel like these people who are taking your challenges are like really loyal audience members for you? Do they come to your blog as well or do they just come to you for the challenges? Um, I think it was a great way to introduce me to new people initially. And I think that I personally feel like it, it was the key to growing a community around my blog and kind of centering myself as a meal prep expert. And so over the years, I see these people come back 
I see them come back to challenge after challenge and I see them commenting on the blog. So yeah, I do feel like it really helped me build a community. I often poll them at the start of a challenge and it's usually these days about 50-50 new people and returning. Oh, interesting. So it establishes you as an expert. It helps you to build trust with your people and also build community. And I think those are all things that we can all say we really want for our businesses and our blogs. So there really is nothing, there's no reason why we shouldn't test with this, right? I mean, aside from like it takes a little bit of time when you're actually in the challenge to go into the group and communicate. Other than that, there's really no downfall. Yeah. And I think like the first couple challenges you run, it does take a little effort to get it up and running, but then you can get a format. And one thing I'm working on now is I used to run new menus every time. And that means rewriting all the emails and reshooting the video demos that I do. And so what we've done now is we're going to just like a permanent January challenge, a permanent fall challenge, and I'm working on a permanent spring challenge as well. Oh, that's very smart. Yeah, it should be easier going forward to rerun them. (laughs) Yeah, you can probably streamline as you go so you don't have to spend quite as much time. So do you ever do live videos inside the groups or do you just reply to comments? So... I think for meal prep especially, it's really important to see how you're prepping because I'm prepping multiple meals at a time. I think it's important for them to see how to do that. And so I've always done a a video component. Initially, that was just a Facebook Live in my terrible orange kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) But now we do like more professional looking YouTube style videos. So, you know, we've kind of evolved a little bit, but I think, you know, just work with what you've got. And then you just repurpose those or do you do them fresh every challenge? I repurpose them now. I used to do a Facebook Live every challenge, but now I just repurpose the YouTube videos. Okay. So running challenges obviously benefits us. Do you have any other ways that it could benefit us as bloggers, especially these free challenges? Because they take a lot of time. I mean, especially up front when you're just getting started, they're an investment of time. So what good things can come out of this for us? So I think that I really got to know my readers on a personal level through this because at the start of the challenge, I always ask them, what are you hoping to get out of this? And I feel like, you know, when you're just, when you're blogging, you can see what posts gets traffic and what's trending on Pinterest, that kind of thing. But, you know, seeing people's faces or their (laughs) Facebook profile pictures And reading their words of what they're struggling with, it can really help you connect with them on a deeper level and just understanding the struggles that they have. And yeah, oh, and one of the best parts of the challenge is at the end, I always ask them, what is a small victory you've experienced during the challenge? And just to read, you know, that people have had had more time with their family or they've eaten healthier or they've lost weight. It's just so fulfilling, you know, to yeah, feel like you're really, yeah, helping somebody out. So that's that was huge for me. So it truly is something that provides value or it should be for your readers and you should be able to see that. I love that you asked that question, like, what was your favorite thing or what did you get out of this the most? Do you ever ask, you may have said this already, I'm sorry, but did you say that when they start the challenge that you ask, like, what their struggles are, or, like, what... Yeah. They're hoping to gain. Okay. 
Yeah, I do. And sometimes they're asking an awful lot <laughs> of a challenge. Like, <laughs> I want to lose 10 kilograms or something like that. And, yeah. Um, you know, you're not going to get that from this. I, I try to like help them adjust their expectations to be a little more realistic. But yeah, I do. I do like to see, you know, what people are struggling with in that way and how else I can help them. How large is your Facebook group? Because I'm sure that you accumulate people every challenge. So how many people are in there currently? I think it's about 15,000. It might be more. Um, you know, some people stick around for multiple challenges and some people are one and done. And actually, a lot of people don't have Facebook, which is really interesting. So I do make the challenge accessible to those people and they get all the recipes via email and they can watch the video demo on YouTube. But yeah, so there's a lot of people who do sign up but aren't in the group. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's funny when you find those people that aren't on Facebook or just... Yeah. <laughs> but you have to find a way to accommodate to them because if they want to take your challenge, you obviously want to deliver that information to them. Yeah. So where do we go from free challenges? Let's say we have like a product we want to sell or a service or something to incorporate in. Where do we and how do we include that? Um, there's a couple kinds of different ways that you can do this. So one way that I monetize it, you know, slightly is that I offer a recipe card kit for my challenge. So all the recipes are available for free, but if you want them all in one place and you don't want to be like digging through your email account for them, then you can purchase the card kit. And so that, you know, I sell that for $5. And personally, I also offer a bundle of meal prep ebooks, and I'm still very much like learning about the ebook thing. <laughs> but that is another thing that seems to require a lot of experimentation. So I do try to kind of pair up an ebook sale with the meal prep challenge. This year, I I coincided the end of my sale, my New Year's ebook sale, with the end of my meal prep challenge. And that kind of pairs the excitement surrounding the challenge with the scarcity of the ebook price going up. And that was pretty successful. Um, but yeah, I'm still playing around. I think it's really smart to have, if you have some sort of service, to use the challenge as like a sort of sample of your service. But I don't offer services, so yeah. you know, I can't really speak to that. It's a great way to pull people in like, hey, I'm offering this and then people get really intrigued and maybe they see a difference in their lives or their business or whatever they're there for. And then they're like, oh, I need more. <laughs> so they dive in even more. Yeah. And one thing I'm playing around with is, is like I'm working on a dinner prep challenge and it's going to be like two weeks of a meal plan where you spend one to two hours prepping four dinners for the week. And then after the challenge, I'll offer them a six week basically the same thing, but six weeks of it as a paid ebook. And we'll see how that does. <laughs> I'm oh. still testing it, all the recipes. So <laughs> yeah, a lot of testing involved and also some strategy because you have to think through what people want, think through that whole scarcity mentality. Like, you know, we don't have much left or <laughs> just thinking through all of that, like, what is the book that I just read about that? Oh, the launch book. Have you ever read that by Donald? No. Um, no, I haven't read that one. Jeff Walker. Jeff Walker. Okay. Yeah, wow. I, I hear people talk that. about it all the time, but I've never read it. <laughs> I just read that and it's so great because he talks about the, the mental processes that go on when you're like 
buying something or like, you know, being marketed to. And he talks about all these different factors like scarcity and there's a bunch more, but it's so interesting. But ever since I read that, I kind of notice how I react to marketing and it's spot on. If people are doing the scarcity thing for me, I'm like, oh, oh no, I have to grab that before it leaves, you know, but it does require some forethought and strategy and testing like you're doing, Denise, and just seeing what works and what doesn't and kind of like experimenting with length and topic and season and also coinciding it with other products. So that's really fun, I think, right? Or do you find it exhausting? Um, the ebook. So, I mean, for me, it's important to have an alternative source of income because relying on ads is a little scary to me, especially with, you know, the fluctuations that we're seeing in this season right now is like kind of a little bit of a roller coaster. So I do find ebooks to be a lot of work, but I'll also say that when you get the right thing, like the right messaging and timing and product that it can really pay off. So I'm definitely continuing to build it out, but I will say that it's definitely, people say it's like passive income. It's definitely not passive income. You know, you have to market it. And that's something I'm trying to get comfortable with myself. I'm not really super salesy kind of person and I'm trying to get comfortable with that, but it definitely gets easier the more you do it. Marketing, I think that's a good point because marketing is not easy. It's actually the least easy part for me personally. Creating content is so fun. I love it. I think all of us enjoy that part. But when it comes to actually promoting our ourselves and our content and the things that we create, oh, yeah, <laughs> I would rather not. But yeah. it is so worthwhile when you dig into it and figure it out. Just like reading through this launch book has been really huge for me because I I tend to make stuff and just put it out there and just pray that it does well and then when it does and I'm like well, what happened it was great I loved it but you have to think through all of that and I think challenges definitely require you thinking through all of those things as well yeah yeah so let's talk about just kind of logistics so how do you go from start to finish do you promote on all of your channels? Do you promote on social media? Like what is kind of the flow? So you decide on a topic and a time, you send it out to your email list and then like, where does it go from there? Do you go to Facebook, Instagram? How does that work? Yeah, I post it. Um, I'll post it in my Facebook group and I'll say, Hey, if you've loved the challenge, I would love your help in spreading the word. Can you invite a friend or just let them know? that we're having another challenge and I'll also go to my Facebook page and I'll post a couple different images over the course of a few weeks leading up to it and just boost them so that people actually see them. <laughs> yeah. You can also create an event for your page on Facebook and that sometimes helps people learn about the challenge because I have the two different segments of my email list, I'll send out an email to the people who are not tagged with challenge and say, hey, we're having a challenge. And then they can click and get added to the challenge list. And I also share in, on Instagram and in Instagram stories. But to be honest, I haven't really figured out the Instagram piece of the puzzle. I do share like during the challenge, like, hey, we're having a challenge. But, you know, the party's kind of on Facebook. So go over there. <laughs> yeah. 
that would be hard to kind of integrate both major social platforms, I think. So you find your one. I think we all have like that one platform and then you kind of stick to it because they're not the same. It's like a totally different feel and purpose for each. So I can see what you mean. You have it on Facebook, like go to that party and I'll direct you there. I know that, um, you know, other people have run challenges with how to Facebook group and they just say, use the hashtag for the challenge. And then they would promote, you know, these people, you know, share their, their images in their Instagram stories and that kind of thing. But I kind of like the setting up a Facebook group because over time I've even seen participants start to interact with each other and it just feels, mm, that's you cool. know, more like we're having a, we're in something together in the yeah. group. It's a yeah. big party. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, okay. So let's say that someone is just testing the waters. Where do they start? Like, do they just like randomly pick a topic? Do they send out a survey? I had this idea the other day of, because I was thinking about doing maybe a challenge or something. And I thought about sending out a survey to my just basic email list and providing a few different topic ideas and seeing what people picked. Do you think that's a good strategy or is there a different way to kind of go about that? If you're like really fresh, just starting out, you really have no idea where to start. So when I was first thinking about doing a challenge, I took Jada Selner's Build Your Challenge course. She basically walked you through even how to pick a topic. And she recommend picking like your drug of choice, which is kind of a funny way to call it. But (laughs) the thing that got you hooked on whatever you want to teach them about. And that's why when I was doing my meal prep challenges, I was like, well, breakfast, because I'm not a morning person and I was skipping breakfast and, you know, it was a disaster. So that was what I picked. She like helps you map through the whole structure of the challenge. But yeah, like I said, my challenge is actually kind of weird because I only email twice a week over two weeks. But most people would pick like a one week and then email every day. Some ideas could be like how to use an Instant Pot or how to use an air fryer or some other equipment, a daily ritual for some sort of wellness challenge, like the way that Simple Green Smoothies does drink a green smoothie every day. You could introduce people to a specific type of diet like low carb or vegan if people are, you know, curious about if that's the right diet for them, yeah, that kind of thing. And then you just want to really break it down into very doable steps, very bite-sized pieces. <laughs> yeah, because that is something that people can digest. Giving them too much right away is probably like just a recipe for disaster, I would imagine. Yeah. And even my challenge is kind of asking a lot of people because, I mean, for the lunch prep challenge, we're prepping three recipes because it's like a packed lunch challenge. So there's snacks as well. I mean, I'm asking people to go to the grocery store and spend like one to two hours in the kitchen. It's a big ask. And a challenge that had like more bite-sized pieces might be more successful. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any other just like general tips for people who are thinking about running challenges and just starting out? Well, yeah, I think it's good to consider the seasons because like I said, New Year's resolution season is huge for healthy food bloggers. So if you're in the healthy food space, that is a really great time to run a challenge. Maybe running a challenge during the holidays might not be really great. And actually, During March, I was going to do a spring challenge, but the word challenge wasn't really sitting 
super well with me with <laughs> what everyone's oh, been going sure. through. Yeah. And so we kind of pivoted away from a challenge. Plus, I didn't want people going to the grocery store when we're supposed to be mm-hmm. sheltering in place. Right. So we pivoted and we had a pantry meals cook in, which is just cook anything oh. from any blog using what you have in your pantry. And it was such a good diversion. <laughs> yeah. I like that you even changed the word challenge to just cook in because we don't need any more of that word in our lives I feel like so that was really that was considerate and very smart too (laughs) yeah it was so good to have a little corner of Facebook that wasn't political or didn't have scary medical graphs or anything yes people really liked that but you know as we're getting started I really did like the course that I took or you can go and subscribe to somebody else's challenge. You guys can subscribe to my challenge, although I'm not sure when the next one will be, probably in the fall. But I know like Simple Green Smoothies, they've been doing it for a really long time, so they know <laughs> what they're doing. So yeah, just maybe subscribe to other people's challenges and see how they're doing it. And yeah, like polling your audience couldn't hurt. And I think just like you got to at a certain point, just jump in and try it out. I agree. We're in this place right now where we're ad revenue is kind of scary. It's all over the place. We don't really know what's going on in the world or with our revenue. And a lot of us have just like that one mainstream of revenue. And that is definitely scary. So jumping into new ways to earn income and revenue is so appealing for me and for so many other food bloggers, I think. So This is one great way to do that. And then to kind of think through beyond the challenge, like how can I add a product here? What would incorporate well? Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe you're good at doing like coaching for something or I don't know what that would be. But I think there is a lot of opportunity here. And how cool that you've tapped into this. How long have you been doing this? Did you say the challenges? Since 2016. So I think I've done 14 challenges, but I honestly (laughs) lost count at this point. That's a lot. That's great. Yeah. What is your one main thing that you've learned from these challenges? Like from start challenge number one to challenge 14, what is the one thing that you would say like you were doing way wrong in the beginning or that you've just learned something valuable? I think in the beginning, I was focused way too much on the numbers. I was really bummed out that I only had 50 people in my first challenge. But in actually, in retrospect, it was really good that it started small because I made mistakes and I fixed them. I learned little things like that emails get mysteriously vanish in cyberspace. So I need to have a copy of everything on my website, (laughs) (laughs) you know, things like that. But yeah, I think focusing on the numbers, just focus on like how many people you do have and that you're helping these people. That's that's what I would say. That's great. I think we've covered so much. Well, thank you, Denise, for sharing your amazing knowledge with us. I think this is going to inspire me for sure and a lot of other food bloggers to take the leap into making a challenge. It doesn't have to be a big ordeal, right? I mean, we could do start really small start a Facebook group, have reasonable expectations about numbers. Don't focus on the numbers so that you get disappointed and just see what happens. And there's really no harm in just testing it out. And I mean, you can even use recipes that are already on your site. Like if you're doing an instant pot challenge, you could be like, let's start with the easiest instant pot recipe and you could kind of progress. It doesn't have to necessarily be like completely new exclusive content. Right. 
I liked what you mentioned earlier when you were talking about monetization and just creating a recipe card kit for $5. And it's like, yeah, people can go find those exact recipes on your blog, but not all together. So there's value in putting things together in one space where they can just have easy access to it. So I thought that was really smart too. Yeah. Well, and people also really love a meal plan, especially if it has a shopping list. So not even just the fact that they don't have to track down all the recipes, but people will pay for a meal plan. Like actually all of the recipes in my eBooks are already on my blog, but you know what they get by buying the bundle is that they get everything all together, but I also have some meal plans so that they can put them together and just, you know, makes it a little easier. Yeah, a lot easier, I think. And even if you're not necessarily focusing on meal plans or meal prep, like you used Instant Pot as an example, you could still give people Instant Pot recipes and include a meal plan and like a shopping list. And that is super valuable because the least amount of work people need to do (laughs) is valued, I think, especially right now when we're all like stressed and just wanting to eliminate garbage from our lives. So I think that's pretty valuable right now. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Denise, so much for being here. Before you go, do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share with food bloggers? No specific quote, but just, you know, I think it's important right now to remember that everybody's going through something and it's important to be really compassionate right now with everybody. Yeah, it is. Grace, right? That's like my word right now. Just like everyone deals with this situation so differently, myself included. Like I am dealing with it in ways that I never expected. And so I feel like I want other people to have grace with me while I need to keep that in mind too. I need to have grace with so many other people. It's just a a time that we never expected, anticipated, and we just don't know. Yeah. So I love it. It's a crazy year. (laughs) It is a crazy year. This will never be forgotten for sure. No. That's what I've been telling my son. I'm like, they're going to write about this in the history books. Mm -hmm. He's like, really? (laughs) (laughs) You're going down in history. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put together a list of resources and everything that we've talked about today. And I'll put those in Denise's show notes. And those can be found at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Denise B. Denise, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. I'm pretty well everywhere at Sweet Peas and Saffron, Facebook, Instagram, the blog, Pinterest, and I'm now on TikTok. (laughs) Oh, look at that. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here, Denise. And thank you for listening, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.